I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to The Hedgehog and the Fox, the podcast in search of answers to questions large and small. A recent news story about robots developing their own private language claimed that alarmed Facebook researchers had to pull the plug on their experiment. The story turned out to be, well, not quite true. There was no panic, the study's lead author Michael Lewis said, and the project hasn't been shut down. Our goal was to build bots that could communicate with people. In some initial experiments, we found that they weren't using English words as people do. So we stopped those experiments and used some additional techniques to get the bots to work as we wanted. Nonetheless, this story brought back to my mind an interview I did with Jerry Kaplan in 2015 about the real impact of AI on jobs and the whole structure of our economy. Jerry Kaplan is a Silicon Valley serial entrepreneur and a pioneer in tablet computing. At Stanford, he teaches ethics and the impact of artificial intelligence. His book, Humans Need Not Apply, looks at some of the profound changes technology is already bringing to our working lives, whether we are delivery drivers, doctors or lawyers. Automation, Jerry writes, is blind to the colour of your collar. So today's question is, will humanity become roadkill on the information superhighway, as Jerry warns? Or can the human ingenuity that devised AI systems find ways to tame its disbenefits? When I spoke to Jerry in California via Skype, I began by asking him whether he thought we were close to a step-change moment in our relationship with technology. I believe that's true. There's a number of technologies that are becoming available which have very, very broad applicability and are going to affect a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. Now, the positive side, these technologies are going to basically accelerate economic development and in that sense make society a great deal richer. But on the negative side, like the original Industrial Revolution, we're going to see a lot of people who will uh, be disrupted or potentially hurt by the coming of these new technologies. Jerry distinguishes between forged laborers and synthetic intellects. Forged laborers are essentially robots that perform practical tasks, traditional blue-collar roles. The impact of that is going to be dramatic because, of course, there are industrial robots today and they're in, in factories and all that. But when you take that technology and you combine it with new technologies for the ability to sense and adapt to your environment, you're talking about a whole 
army of potential robots that are about to leave the factory floor and take their place alongside us in human environments. And once that happens, they can perform an awful lot of tasks, hopefully safely and effectively, but almost certainly better than people can do in a lot of circumstances in uh, human environments. I asked Cherry if transportation, the Waymo self-driving car for instance, is the area where we're likeliest to see big impacts in the near future. Well, the beautiful thing about uh, Crying Wolf here is that people are aware of this one, this first application, which is self-driving cars. But what people aren't really, I think, as cognizant of as they might be, is that that's just the first of a whole wave of activities of, of this kind that's going to transform society. So when you think about that single invention, the self-driving car, is expected here in the U.S., it, it could save one to two trillion dollars a year uh, in the U.S. economy, which is 10 to 15 percent of the U.S. economy. Just that one application is going to be dramatically impacted. That's a tremendous transformation of the economy. And there are many, many other applications that are likely to have, if not similar impact, dramatic impact over the next uh, 10 to 20 years. If forged laborers threaten blue collar jobs, synthetic intellects are already making inroads in the white-collar world. Of course, synthetic intellect is, again, just a cute term, but it basically means a computer program that is capable of engaging in an activity that you'd normally think would require human attention, training, or intelligence. When you, as a journalist, for example, are um, researching a story, you used to have to go talk to people and and uh, go to the library perhaps and look things up. But now you can do that online, obviously. But you may not be aware of the significant amount of intelligence and training and uh, learning, I should say, that's going on to provide you with the results of your searches and the effectively the editorial function that's being performed. It's like having a very intelligent, uh, extremely knowledgeable, uh, superhumanly knowledgeable assistant. Well, this is happening in all kinds of areas. It's dramatically impacting here in the U.S., the legal profession right now, because there are things that lawyers normally perform, tests they normally perform, which are now being performed largely by machine. So what used to take a, a horde of lawyers, football stadiums full of lawyers, to read through discovery documents and all of that are now being done automatically by a, a computer program. So the main point about this is that Professions that you think of as being either technical or specialized, requiring a great deal of rarefied training, or just plain requiring human intelligence, are really beginning to succumb to, to being performed by machines. Human beings have managed transitions in the past, from agricultural to industrial societies, from manufacturing-based economies to service-based ones. I was interested to know whether Jerry thought that we would successfully manage this transition. Uh, it used to be in about 1850, close to 90% of the U.S. population was involved directly in agriculture. Basically, that's all people did, was they grew food and distributed food to eat. That's what everybody spent their time doing. Today, that's less than 2% of the population. Well, that's, I mean, just a catastrophic change in the labor market. However, it occurred over a period of over 150 years, and that was plenty of time to adapt and for people to gain new skills and for the benefits of all of that automation to feed into society and create all kinds of new, new wealth and new opportunities for people to work. 
The issue is not the transition. Transition is a good thing. It's how fast it happens and how well we can adapt. It's just like global warming. If it happens over 10,000 years, you and I wouldn't be worrying about it right now. If it happens over a couple of centuries, we've got a problem and we have to do something about it. So there's an acceleration in the process of automation, the pace of automation that I'm seeing from the inside of the Silicon Valley, and that's just emblematic of what's going on in the rest of the world, of course. And this is going to create, potentially create great disruption, as did the original Industrial Revolution, which led to enormous slums and, and, and unemployment and other problems before it was self-corrected. Technological change is increasing income inequality and creating new power imbalances. Kaplan quotes an economist's prediction that within 10 years, over half the spending in the US economy might be done by just 5% of the population. That 5% already accounts for one-third of total expenditure. The real problem here is that automation is a process of capital versus labor. You're investing capital in order to reduce the necessity for labor. So the fact is we're going to find out that Karl Marx was right. This is a struggle that's uh, assets against labor, and it's a losing proposition for, for labor, for the workers. Uh, what I'm seeing happen here is that the benefits of this great technology are really accruing the profits, I should say, from this technology are accruing to a very small percentage of the population, the people who can afford to build, own, or develop these new systems. And that's going to be a problem. I see this around me every day here in the Silicon Valley. You've got a group of people getting richer and richer, dramatically so, and other people who are struggling to get by and, and to have jobs. Because we're raising the productivity of workers, but the benefits of that increase in productivity are not, and in some sense, rightfully, our current system should not be going to the workers. So we're going to need to start to rethink our economic system if we want to have a humane world. What's clear is that the old model of getting an education that would equip you for a career is gone. So how, I asked Jerry, do we need to re-engineer our attitudes to education, skills and lifelong learning? Well, this is true up and down the, uh, the entire spectrum of education. A line that I use at Stanford all the time that usually gets a laugh among students is I think we should have expiration dates on PhDs. Every five years it should expire and you need to go back and retrain because your skills will be obsolete in five years. We've got a real problem. We need to rethink how that whole system works. There's the disconnect between the people providing the education and the actual uh, needs of the marketplace and then there's the evolution of the training that needs to go on. Now, there's no reason we can't fix that. It doesn't mean that we have to invest in public education. We just need to create new types of financial vehicles, which uh, here in the U.S., the, the banks and financial institutions are very good at engineering this stuff, where you can effectively, what I describe in the book, I call it a job mortgage, where you can borrow money in order to gain a skill that is of value in the marketplace, and you can pay that off based upon the uh, results of the, the added value that that labor has uh, performed. Now, that's just one format of an idea. But the old model, you go to school and then you go home and start working in the field with your dad, which is the, the, the way the whole system started, just absolutely does not apply today. And we have to do something about this or a lot of people are going to starve. When it comes to political debate, I'm struck by the fact that the discussion focuses much more on jobs being taken by the Chinese than jobs being taken by robots. 
So does Jerry think politicians are taking the future seriously enough? A reminder, this interview was recorded before the rise of Donald Trump. I think it is not sufficiently on the radar because people are seeing the effects and they don't understand the causes. However, the politicians understand in their own world how they need to adapt. They need to start sucking up to rich people, which is exactly what they're doing here in the U.S. Here we have a system that reminds me of what's going on in Iran, where you've got the Ayatollah can decide exactly who gets to run. Uh, there's supposedly a democratic election, and I suppose that's true, but each of the candidates has to be approved and vetted by the, the great leader. Well, here in the U.S., we have actually a very similar system. There's a small cadre of very rich people, and if they don't approve and they don't agree to support your, your campaign, you can't run and you're not going to get elected. So these are problems that we need to fix. So the politicians are very aware that these kinds of changes are affecting them, but they're not necessarily thinking about it in terms of the effects, uh, broader effects across society. Finally, I wanted to know, was Jerry, despite his line about humanity being potentially roadkill on the information superhighway, optimistic about our prospects? Well, this is not a, a, uh, an issue of survival. This isn't about an existential risk to, uh, to humanity. Everything's going to be great uh, in another 50 or 75 years, unless there's some huge uh, change that I'm not aware of, because we're simply going to be very, very wealthy. However, the transition may be uh, brutal. And uh, the solution, we can solve this problem. Just all the people are out of work. They just starve to death. And uh, once they're gone, everything's going to be fine. So the, the answer is we have both the tools, we have an understanding of what's going on, and we have the means by which we can do it. But we don't have the, un, the, the will, the will to carry this out. And mainly that's because the general population is looking in the rearview mirror, thinking about the way things were when they grew up and what their dad lived like, and not able to take what we're doing today and look forward and think about what is the world going to be like for their children? What kind of jobs are they going to have? That's the problem that we need to solve. Jerry Kaplan. Humans Need Not Apply, A Guide to Wealth and Work in the Age of Artificial Intelligence is available from Yale University Press. You can find out more about it on their website. And do visit thehedgehogandthefox.com for news of forthcoming and archive interviews in this series. Until next time, thank you very much for listening, and goodbye.